Hi everyone, welcome back to A11 Crypto and today we are going to continue a thread we have been focusing on this show since the beginning and that is the topic of decentralized credit as it relates to crypto and TradFi. Um, we've talked about uh, you know trade finance credit, we've talked about institutional loan market for crypto trading firms, we talk about securitization and tokenization of real world yielding opportunities. But today we have Blake and Mike who have been building in stealth mode up until today and uh, had just recently uh, came out with the big news that they've raised 11 million from Andrews and Horowitz. So I'm very pleased to welcome them both to the show. Um, so Blake and Mike, why don't you share with us some of your backgrounds and how did you come to start Goldfinch? Yeah, sure thing. First of all, thanks for having us on, Harvey. Uh, we got to meet a little bit ago. It's glad to finally make this happen. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, I can share a little bit about our background. So Mike and I have known each other for a very long time. We were actually randomly paired together as freshman year roommates in college over 15 years ago now. And we've worked on a, a bunch of kind of various projects over the years uh, from like a music collaboration website way back in the day, music annotation systems, some sports betting systems. And of course, we both got really into crypto and we joined Coinbase in 2018, both of us. And we were, you know, it's really excited about Coinbase's mission of building an open financial system. And uh, that's, that's what kind of drew us there, drew us into crypto. And then by 2020, we were starting to see that there was some trends lining up that were making us feel like it was a good time to be starting to bring crypto to the real world. And we were just really excited by this, this idea of finally having a way to bring crypto to more people and have the impacts and value of crypto get around to more people than just, just the hodlers. Uh, and so we, the, the three trends we were seeing primarily were around um, increasing base of stable coins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you know, between 2018 and 2020 it was like the first, you know, billion or a few, several billion of, Stable coins and then now it's exploded. I think it's over 100 billion now or something like that. It's 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 massive and so that was that was a, a big component because if we want to be making loans to businesses in the real world, we have to have the ability to make those loans in a currency that they're familiar with, mm. rather than doing it in you know Ethereum or something like that. It's it's just not going to work. And so being able to make loans in dollars was uh, a big unlock. And then also we were seeing that people really wanted to do things with their crypto. And so they didn't want to just hodl. They wanted to be able to lend it, stake it, um, and earn interest. And so that meant there was a, a willing base of you know investors on the one side. And then third, we were seeing increasing amounts of exchanges, uh, ways to turn your crypto into fiat around the world. And so you know, for instance, you know, Binance was launching in Nigeria. One of our first customers was in Nigeria. They were able to to use those ramps. And these are all just big operational things that made it a lot easier to start. Goldfinch, which is about, of course, taking this crypto capital and uh, connecting it with borrowers and fintechs in emerging markets around the world. And so that's just a bit about how we how we got started. Mike, I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, no, I think we just that that's right. I mean, we saw these trends coming together. We're like, all right, now we've got the pieces in place from like an infrastructural standpoint that we can actually like make this happen. So it was in. Um, it was July of last last year yeah. that we left Coinbase. We were both at Coinbase also. So we know know each other for like 15 years, but also we're both at Coinbase for a couple of years before leaving <clears throat> to start Goldfinch. Um, 
maybe be useful if you um give us uh, a little bit of breakdown of your each um background. Uh, so who who's the uh coder here, and uh, what what what's your specific role within Goldfinch? Yeah, uh, sure. So I guess I would be the the coder. Uh, I'm the, I'm the the CTO, and I so was a, I was a senior engineer while at Coinbase, and uh, before that had been working as the the first hire at a company called Hint Health, also doing engineering work for them. Um, so yeah, I moved up here. I was actually originally a musician, and then got into coding uh, a bit later. I moved up to San Francisco in 2013 to get into the startup tech scene. I'd been very interested in in startups and technology for a while and had actually worked on like a music education iPad app um, sort of before I had more formally gotten into uh, doing technology as a job. But those experiences led me to be like, oh, wow, actually, I really want to do this as, as my, my full time job. And so uh, that's what made me take the leap into doing engineering professionally in 2013. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I am also co-founder and uh, CEO in my background was less on the engineering side, more on the data side. So at Coinbase, I was running the product analytics team. So it was like digging into all the data that Coinbase had about how people are using the product and what they're buying and selling and stuff like that and trying to understand how does that, how do we make the product better? Um, and then before running that team at Coinbase, I was um, the head of data science at Medium, the blogging platform. Wow. And then wow. before Medium, I was managing analytics when like, I was at Adobe, when like Adobe started Creative Cloud, uh, they were like shifting their entire business model over to like a subscription business, which was like a huge deal in 2012. And so I was there working on the analytics. And then for that, I was at a startup uh, also doing data stuff. So my background has been kind of like in sort of San Francisco tech startup um, on, on the data side of things. Interesting, interesting. I love to see uh, the co-founders who have been, uh, you know, who have known each other for quite a while, and then working together, right? Because I mean, I think one of the most challenging things in starting a startup is, you know, you gotta work with people all the time, and you, both of you have to solve problems together, right? And that's most stressful of them all. Um, so it's it's awesome <laughs> you guys were both at Coinbase, and and by the way, uh, you were a musician. I didn't know that before. Um, <laughs> I, I that, that's super that's super impressive. Um, I imagine you know. It, it, what, what, did you study computer science as as a college as as a like major thing or? No, I did not. I took no engineering or computer science courses at all in college. Um, I was in the business school, so uh, both Mike and I actually went to Wharton, and um, I was also doing a music minor while I was there, but no engineering courses. Um, I was more a product of the like uh, Coursera and Udacity and all those places coming out right in like around 2011, 2012, 2013. I was taking a bunch of those courses online for free and um, reading up all just the immense amount of like blogs and, and just stuff that was exploding around that time period of uh, new engineering resources and teach yourself things that were available then. And so that was what got me going into engineering. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's respect. I didn't know Wharton produced musicians. Um, <laughs> <I th> <laughs> Usually don't. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, one of my best friends, he just graduated uh, from Wharton too. So uh, I, I've just seen him. He just flew back to uh, to New York to start his, you know, finance gig, right? Like cause Wharton produces, uh, you know, finance uh, professionals. Uh, that's that's what it's known for. But it's super cool. So, and so I wouldn't tell you, but he was probably the only Wharton grad to also have an art history degree. I think I was the only person to getting a business degree, but also just studying art history. Yeah. 
No, no, come on. I, okay, Walton have to use you guys as a poster child, right? As like we do more than just finance, because because <laughs> I, I like this is incredible. I, I I you know I um myself like I uh, this is a little aside, but like I I applied to Walton. I didn't I didn't get in, but uh I mean I wanted to go there because uh, this is way years ago, right? Because uh, I want to do like. Uh, economics and 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 you know maybe go to Wall Street, but now like I, I I'm in this position where I'm totally like yeah no disinterest everything right we don't need Wall Street uh but uh I mean well, we still we still do need them right I think I think to to a certain extent and and I think this is a very nuanced approach right that's why you know I think I was very excited about you guys because you are combining um you know the, this whole process of uh credit uh, assessment right uh you're yeah. coupling that with crypto liquidity as well as you know traditional finance right so maybe let's dive into that right like like um can you talk to us about the i know we, we touched on this briefly just now you know the problem that goldfinch is addressing and um wh- how how should we view goldfinch what is the market position yeah there's there's a couple of ways to look at goldfinch from the like global perspective and from the crypto perspective. So I think it's, it's helpful to start at really high level and think about it from the global perspective. So we, we talked a second ago about how we saw the pieces from the crypto side in place that made it possible, but the problems we were seeing uh, were, were mostly from the borrower side. And we started talking to a number of lending businesses in countries all around the world, uh, asking about how do they run their business. And they kept saying that um, one of their biggest challenges is accessing capital to grow their business. Like they're, they're in the business of lending out money and they need money to, to be able to lend out to grow their business. And they really struggle specifically in this range of when they need around 100K to $5 million. When they need less than 100K, usually in their local capital markets, they can find folks who can provide that or, or high net worth individuals. And when they need say $5 million or more, there are institutional credit funds that can provide uh, that capital to these businesses, but they need to write bigger checks. So if a company only needs one to $2 million, it isn't worth the time for these credit funds to go through the underwriting process and due diligence and write that check. So that results in this gap of like 100K to 5 million that these, these really great lending businesses, they have great track records, really good performance. They can't, they can't get money in that, in that range. And so from talking to them, we're like, oh, well, this is a place that crypto can come in and really solve. And so from that perspective, one problem we're solving is access to capital and providing finances to businesses in, in a gap that isn't currently, isn't currently being served. And we view this as a wedge. We think like eventually all private debt can move on to crypto, mm-hmm. but as a place to get started, we're focusing on these folks. And then from the perspective of crypto, we, we describe it as uh, we're providing, we're making under collateralized loans possible on crypto. And that's in comparison to existing protocols like a compound and Aave where the lending there is really over collateralized. So you, you need to put up $150 in order to borrow $100 of another currency, which almost, almost doesn't even sound like a loan. You have to have more money to start with than you borrow. But like most, most borrowers in the real world, including these businesses we're talking to, the whole reason they want to borrow money is they don't already have that kind of cash to start with. Right. So the problem that we're solving from a crypto perspective 
is making it possible for lending to happen when you don't already have the crypto collateral to put up. And so how do we find other ways of providing that credit that isn't based on how much crypto you already own? So that's the problem from the crypto perspective that we're solving. Yeah, and I would just add that one of the reasons we think this problem is worth solving is because we just think that's going to be a 100x bigger market. You or 1,000x. Or 1,000x, right? I mean, most people in the world just don't have the money that they need when they want to get a loan. That's almost the definition of a loan. And so I think crypto is just really constrained right now to a much uh, smaller niche of it's usually traders or people who have a lot of crypto assets just looking to get a bit of liquidity while still maintaining upside. That's fine. That's a great use case. There's a thousand X of that uh, market in the real world use case where people don't actually have the, the credit that they need. For the yeah, cloud. yeah so. I, I totally agree with you guys. I, I think it's worth uh, pointing out, uh, I think currently there are two uh, sort of like projects that are tackling problems. One of them are tackling problems that only exist in crypto, uh, and, and only crypto people have this problem, uh, and 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 that's okay. Uh, you know, you know, and this group of you know users may you know you might be serving a hundred or five hundred whales, right? Each each of them have like five hundred thousand, right, in, in the crypto holdings. But the, mm -hmm. But the but the, this is my this is just my personal view. But you know, if we want to make crypto go mainstream, we must reach out. We must reach across the chasm, right? Like, how yeah. do we address a problem in the real world? I, I remember uh, listening to this Bloomberg uh, podcast where Hayden Adams from Uniswap was talking to Joe Withenstall. I, I forgot his name about mm -hmm. about about crypto and Bloomberg guy was like, so what is the real problem you guys are solving? Sounds to me all you are in enabling just speculation, right? At, at that time I was shouting out, go to Finch, right? You, <laughs> got, you, you, got, you, got, you got to look it deeper, right? Um, because I think, um, as you mentioned, most people when you need to borrow is because you don't have the asset, right? You don't have enough of it, right? And if I require you to have Ethereum, whatever the asset, crypto asset, you're, you, you know, the crypto asset you, you, you need to have if we can borrow, you know, it's 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 it severely restrict the the target audience. Um, and yeah. Let's sorry. Go ahead. Oh, just I was gonna add. I mean, even then though, everything that we're building is kind of like on top of all of these core infrastructural pieces. So like, there are aspects of Uniswap that are going to be really important to making Goldfinch successful. And so like, I think all of these things that have already been built still are like contributing to you know, like these real use cases, but it's almost like, you know, one building block at a time. So we needed like these fundamental things like Uniswap, which is amazing as a first step. And then now that opens things up for for protocols like Goldfinch to then build on top of them and get, get like, you know, another step closer to that promise. I think we all see in crypto of like, yes, it can, it can help with like all these real world uses. We just need all these things put together. Yeah. Also just, I think, we're already seeing that we are able to reach across that chasm and get companies uh, interested in crypto and who maybe otherwise was, wouldn't be. And that's something I'm, I've been pretty excited about. Like there are companies who we're, we're giving loans to and, and they're saying, hey, well, how do I turn this crypto into a, uh, you know, a, my local currency? We say, oh, well, you get set up on an exchange and we show them how to do that. And they're getting used to MetaMask and stuff. So I think you know, bit by bit, we're going to be expanding out and bringing companies, uh, getting them used to the crypto ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, uh, this is fantastic, right? I, I would love to dive into the user experience because you know personally, I'm, I'm finding um, the, the the product that the end user needs to use. Um, you know, especially when you're facing many uh, people across a different world. Um, you know, it, it, 
it's it's much easier for them if we have a, a traditional sort of onboarding system, right? So so can mm. you maybe give us uh, one or two example of the borrowers you already have on your in your system, um, mm-hmm. and and you know how 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 easy or difficult or or what is that process currently for them to borrow from from uh, Goldfinch? Yeah, sure, Mike. Sure, yeah. Uh, so let's see. I think a great example is QuickCheck. They are a company in Nigeria. They make loans out to consumers, and the way it works is they have an app, and people download the app, and then the the app uses machine learning to look at their phone data to give them like a fifty dollar loan right on the spot, like a thirty day loan or something like that. And so they're they're this great company providing loans to lots of consumers. They are they are using financing from Goldfinch to grow their business, make more loans out to their end end borrowers, and the process for them is they got set up with an exchange um, they and and so then like say like a Binance account and then they also have we have them get up with a MetaMask and so like have a MetaMask address and so they go to the web app that we've created on like the Goldfinch app and they hit the drawdown button and then when they hit the drawdown button and they submit the number they uh, and they sign the transaction they get USDC to their MetaMask address and then they send the USCC for MetaMask over to Binance. And we actually we actually made an improvement to the protocol so that they can skip the MetaMask step. They could just have uh, the protocol send the USDC directly to their address on Binance. But the result is that they now have USDC on Binance. And then through there, they can convert to their local currency, say Naira, and they have their bank account hooked up and they can withdraw the capital of Naira to their bank account. And then now they have money in their local bank account and they can do what they've been doing for years at this point, which is use the Naira to make loans out to consumers. And then um, that's how it works. And then to make payments back into the protocol, they do the same steps in reverse. So they now have more Naira than they had before because they've been collecting interest and they sort of deposit it into their Binance account. And then from Binance, they send it to their MetaMask address. And so now they have USDC in their MetaMask address and they go to the site that we've created, the web app, and they make their payment back to the protocol using it. And so those are all of the steps. And I think like uh, they're used to using accounts to handle money. So like Binance isn't that that crazy different. Mm-hmm. And they had to sort of get used to how do you use a MetaMask um, sort of address. And so we kind of hopped on the phone and showed them that, but otherwise, um, the UI that we've created looks similar to other kinds of UIs where you you have an amount that you owe and you pay it back, or you have amount of credit and you you draw it down. Um, so it's nicer than a lot of banking UIs, to be honest. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, uh, we're starting from from scratch there, so we can. Yeah, but um, that's that's basically how the the experience is for the borrower. I I I I think you made the experience as seamless as it is possibly. Uh, as it's possible to do right now, right? Given that, you know, people still have to have a MetaMask or have some sort of crypto wallet and on off ramp still needs to go through, you know, an exchange like Binance or Coinbase. You know, yeah. I, I guess when the banks themselves get onto the stable coin pay, payment rail, then you guys have a huge unlock, right? And then every single one of their customers could potentially tap into you guys as a wholesale funding uh, source, yeah. right? I Yes, and I think... Either, I mean, it could be that banks are doing uh, stablecoin rails, or it could be that people just start using stablecoins directly to do their transactions, right? And in, in either case, there is, there's definitely going to be an unlock either when 
we don't need to go through an exchange. Or if uh, the consumers, if you're in a world where basically all consumers have exchange accounts and everything's on, you know, an L2 and everything's very cheap and fast, and we could be sending money directly, uh, programmatically from the protocol to a consumer's uh, wallet, and then the consumer would pay back into uh, the smart contract, and then you know, Quick Check in this case would would take their cut after that that payback happens. And this is this is something we're really excited about down the line. It's you know it's not going to happen in the next six months, but I think over the next few years, we're going to start seeing pockets of this where we can send money directly crypto to crypto wallet to an end borrower and they can pay back into a smart contract and the originator, you know, quick check in this case gets paid at the end. And the reason that's uh, part of the reason that's really exciting is um, not only is it it's a much more seamless experience, there's no person from quick check coming on to manually do stuff. We're talking about uh, things happening automatically and programmatically, but also, you know, there's no need for a, uh, like an SPV in, in Nigeria or anything at that point, because your smart contract is the SPV. I think Maybe this, we should explain what an SPV is. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, you want to take that one? <laughs> okay, sure. So yeah, SPV stands for special purpose vehicle. And um, the concept there is like setting up, say, a trust that, that has all the loans. So um, when a company like QuickCheck makes loans to their consumers, the loans get moved into the trust and the consumer, in theory, make payments directly back into that trust. And then the nice thing about that is it's called being bankruptcy remote, which is if for whatever reason, quick check the borrower were to go bankrupt, well, uh, the loans don't belong to that company. The loans belong to the trust. And so the company quick check could, in theory, disappear, but there is still a trust there that we as the, the creditor have access to that has a direct relationship to the consumer uh, and they are making payments directly back to the trust. So it provides protections for the folks who provide the capital. And setting up these SPVs is like really expensive and complicated. It's different in every single country. It's really annoying. It takes sometimes like many months to set up. And it's just like a, a very, it's like a big pain overall. Um, but it's all about ensuring that like that the loans can continue to exist and you can continue to maintain a relationship directly with the consumer, even if a company like QuickCheck were to like disappear for whatever reason or have financial troubles for whatever reason. And so um, the, the idea of being able to take that logic and just programmatically put it in a smart contract instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars in many months to like set it up uh, in a country, it's just kind of amazing. So yeah. that's the background. SPVs is kind of like this nuanced legal thing, but it's like, just like a, a huge deal to have to, to have to get around when it actually comes to, to making loans. And it's a real unique value add of crypto. Nothing else can possibly do it because you need something that's global and yet requires no jurisdiction from any particular government. That's what, that's where the magic is going to be for a global lender like Goldfinch. And so um, let's see if I got this correctly, right? So SPV, in this case, the, the purpose is to uh, create a separation between the loans and assets from, from the, the, the uh, I guess, the company, QuickCheck, and, yeah. and, and the, their, which, uh, their end borrower who are actual recipient of these loans, right? So the loan, the asset will be held in SVP. And uh, then uh, the, because... Uh, this can be a smart contract, uh, then mm -hmm. the end user could just uh, repay directly into this smart contract. Is that, is that, yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. exactly right. Yeah. And so hmm. I, I guess uh, this case was something I'm quite curious about, right? Obviously you guys are based in San Fran and, and you know, San Fran is a particular micro, a micro cousin of, of, you know, tech startup and, uh, 
incredible uh and you know shows like silicon valley um <laughs> that's my that's my geekiness right but uh like what are you seeing in terms of you know emerging markets uh you know general population's adoption of crypto or or, or or you know using metamask or using binance are you do these do these people understand it have they been exposed to it or you know it, it, it's still an education process for you guys yeah, so a lot of emerging markets are actually seeing pretty significant uptake of crypto. Uh, Nigeria is a particularly striking example. Um, of just a, a really large percentage of the consumers on the ground, just the individual citizens are are using crypto. So we we have we talk with a number of partners there. Also, um, uh, one of our credit managers grew up there, and I uh, see so we we have a you know, pretty good sense of what's what's going on there. And uh, there are. Three of our partners, ones who work with consumers, others who work with businesses, are all uh, telling us that their customers are asking for crypto accounts. They want to be able to hold uh, crypto because they find it safer than their local currency, the Naira. So it's not about speculation for them. It's a, it's a real use case of uh, storing wealth in an area that's not going to depreciate significantly um, over time. And so that's, that's one reason why you're seeing a lot of uptake there. And uh, it's, it was funny, the government recently did put out a you know, sort of notice that said, hey, we don't want banks to be serving any companies who are doing crypto transactions. Well, guess what happened? Binance's P2P market exploded. It didn't, it didn't really stop it. Binance uh, allowed for the exactly just P2P market, people sending Naira through you know, e-money or whatever, and someone else sending crypto through the crypto rails. And that market has been gotten much bigger and more liquid. And so I think this is something that people really want. And I think uh, we're going to be seeing this in a lot of emerging markets. And it's part of the reason why we're going there first is we think they have the highest pain point and the, the highest need for crypto. I think this is a uh, particular uh, feature of a lot of the emerging markets, right? Um, I think people there, they, they are comfortable with skipping uh, through the, the banking part that you and I are very familiar and, and, and we grew up with it, um, you know, go to a local local bank branch, right? Whereas there, like, we don't have a branch. It's okay. I don't need one. I just need something that would help me keep my wealth. And yep. if that's stable coin in crypto, that's exactly what I want. Um, I think th this is something that a lot of people who have been in crypto for some time may, may have the... Uh, you know, uh, lost their side on because, uh, you know, uh, given the how crazy that everything is in crypto. So now we've, we've sort of have this great example. Maybe let's dive into the mechanisms, right? The pillars that are m making up um, this whole Goldfinch system. Um, I understand that there are four main participants in the system, um, borrowers, backers, liquidity providers, and auditors, right? So, um, yeah. Maybe you guys can give us a an overview, a uh, simplified view of how how each of these four participants, um, you know, link together, and then we can dive into the details. Sure. I wonder if it can help by describing sort of the process by which a borrower would be able to get capital, because that shows how all the different participants come into play. So uh, the way the way it works is a borrower. Let's say a borrower wants to to raise like. A million dollar loan with say a 15% interest rate. Mm. Well, they would propose this as a borrower pool. Uh, that's like the the borrower pool is like almost like proposing a term sheet with with the terms that they want. They would propose this to the community of backers. So the backers are folks who spend their time looking at the different borrowers and borrower pools, deciding which ones are kind of like good credit decisions, and they decide to provide capital. And when they provide capital, they're providing 
first loss capital to the junior tranche of the borrower pool. So every borrower pool has a senior tranche and a junior tranche. And what the junior tranche is, is his first loss capital. So whenever payments come back into the borrower pool, the senior tranche gets what it's owed first, and then it's followed by the junior tranche. So that's why these backers are putting up uh, this first loss capital that is that, that gets, gets lost first if the borrower isn't um, making their payments, and so it's higher risk. But there's also the senior tranche. And so what the senior tranche does is it, it gets capital from the senior pool. Now the senior pool is separate. This is where this is for liquidity providers. This is the third the third group of folks. Liquidity providers are the folks who want to supply capital to the protocol, but they don't want to spend their time evaluating different borrowers. They just want to like provide capital and and not think about it. And so they supply capital to the senior pool. And what the protocol does is it automatically allocates capital in the senior pool to these different borrower pools, and it allocates that capital to the senior tranche. So the, the backers provide to the junior tranche and the senior pool is automatically allocating capital to the senior tranche. And um, to, to basically compensate the, the backers for doing this work of evaluating the different borrower pools and for taking some of that higher risk, the protocol reallocates 20% of the interest from the junior tranche sorry, from the senior tranche to the junior tranche. So that provides kind of an additional economic incentive to the junior tranche, which is the backers. So uh, those are those are three of the participants, the borrowers looking for a loan, the backers uh, looking at all these different borrowers and providing junior tranche first loss capital. And then there are the liquidity providers who provide capital to the senior pool. And then the fourth participant, these are the auditors. Um, they Their role is to provide like a human level check on the borrower. So they are randomly selected and they do votes to approve of the borrowers. And this helps prevent uh, different kinds of collusion that could take place with the borrowers. But the auditors are there are basically like, you need their approval for a borrower to be able to start actually borrowing from one of their pools. And so uh, that's kind of like a high level overview of the four participants and, and how they fit together. Uh, I think uh, within the projects I've seen that are trying to tackle this decentralized credit space, there are a few key key issues with um, uh, with the operation. And uh, one of them is who does the credit as assessment process? Mm -hmm. And uh, what is the stake that is required from these people to make sure they have enough skin in the game or just enough skin in the game? Because you can't require too much of them. Otherwise, these guys do not get the return they need, right? Uh, to be incentivized. So how are you approaching this uh, this these two particular particular challenges? Yeah, so it's a great question. The the backers fundamentally are the ones who are doing the, the assessment. And the the way that the decentralized part of it works is that the backers are independently making decisions, right? No one has specifically delegated uh, to a backer says, hey, take my money, a particular backer and, and invest it or anything like that. The backers are just independently putting their own money into particular deals. And so that, I guess, a part of your question of what's the stake? How do they know they have skin in the game? What's well, their money? And not only is it their money, their money is first loss. It's the highest risk tranche of the deal. So uh, if they're wrong, they're going to be losing, even if they're a little bit wrong. <clears throat> like, you know, if it was 20%, uh, if, if they're 20% and the senior tranche is 80%, then the loan only needs to be lose 20% of its value for them to be entirely wiped out. Right. And so 
they independently make these decisions by putting their own money up. That's how we know they have skin in the game. And then collectively, the senior pool uses this leverage model to uh, to allocate its, its resources. So this we're operating on this principle of trust through consensus. And so the more independent backers who are putting money into a given deal, then the more that the senior pool is going to be willing to put funds into uh, the senior tranche of a given deal. <clears throat> and so, yeah, you have a question? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to ask, like, we mentioned backers that independently make their decisions, right? So yeah. who can become a backer? Yeah, so really, initially, it's, it's going to be anyone who is uh, international, who's been KYC'd, or uh, accredited U.S. investors. So, because um, one of the key, key issues in this process, I, I imagine, is that this backers uh, should have the required uh, technical expertise, right, financial expertise, right, to be able to uh, understand the, the segment that the borrower is operating, right, their business model, what are the particular credit risks associated with that, and then they're able, they're able to assess it and ask the right question. Um, and, you know, I imagine, I mean, do, do you do you have a team to, to do this currently to bootstrap the system? Yeah, this uh, is, sorry, this is, a, this is an interesting question because there's both like a, an economic answer and a cultural answer to this mm -hmm. question. I mean, economically, it's, it's really up to the backers to make good decisions. Um, there's no requirement that the backer have a certain set of qualifications from an economic standpoint because if they make bad decisions because they they didn't do their research well they will lose their money first and also if it's a lot of folks making bad decisions the it's unlikely that there would be a lot of liquidity providers who would want to put capital into the senior pool and so from an economic standpoint the the the, the incentives are aligned for the backers who want to make good decisions and only for backers who feel comfortable making good decisions to participate because they can they can lose their money if they don't do it. From a cultural standpoint, we also want to help foster a community that is thinking critically about what these loans are, uh, is understanding how do you evaluate that. That traditionally hasn't been like a widely known set of skills. Like you have to understand financial sort of questions, but it's not it's also not rocket science at the same time. I mean, to, to take a look at a potential borrower and say, okay, have they been profitable making loans in the past? And like, do they have, are they using money wisely? Do they have money on their balance sheet? Questions like that. And so we, we have started by bootstrapping the system by bringing in folks who have years of expertise doing these kinds of deals to make sure we're, we're providing great deals. But then also we want to foster that community. So we want to provide sort of educational materials and help the community build sort of that muscle of, of knowing how to think through these things. Uh, and it's, it's similar to thinking through other stuff that they evaluate on crypto or, or like evaluating stocks and stuff like that. And so uh, by helping to give the community the tools and helping to set Sort of like the norms of like here's how this is done traditionally we think that can put the right like cultural standards and norms in place that allows then the community to grow on its own and continue to make good decisions yeah and we've been uh we've been seeing already a great response from people who are really interested in taking on this role including people who have uh long histories of doing investing in in these exact kinds of markets and uh, people with really sophisticated backgrounds and so i think we have a, a strong case and I'm, I'm very bullish we're gonna be able to create a great community of 
uh, people with, with strong backgrounds are going to be willing to share their expertise with others because it's, it's all in everybody's best interest, right? We're all aligned here in the protocol. And so this is one of the things we're working on with the backup program is trying to foster this community and create that, that culture that uh, these are serious deals. We don't want people just YOLO degening into, uh, you know, whatever borrower happens to come on the platform. That part is, that part is interesting. Like we're, we're, we're starting this protocol and helping to foster community. And we want the cultural norms of this particular community to be like, not, not necessarily YOLO. Like to, so it's interesting how we think about that. Make sure we uh different than other crypto protocols. Yeah, it's, maybe. it's a little bit different. I'm, yeah. No, no, it's definitely important, right? Like, like um, I think yodeling is 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 a result of laziness, right? I I I rather see you know uh at least a process you know in place where you know you go through certain steps, right? Um, I think it's definitely needed, especially like when talking about credit. Um, <laughs> and and you know if we would look, want to. Uh, sort of like you know expand this uh beyond you know beyond beyond the first 10 users right that that, that we're getting in the system we're going to do a hundred or thousand right and, and you mentioned this community this cultural um cultural sense of what is accepted here right i think it's it's super important you know and and i'm just wondering like how does a guy who's you know working at goldman sachs doing fixed income credit right or doing emerging mm -hmm. market credit uh, special situation right how do they how do they get involved right so they look at things like wow hold on I uh, I can literally uh, become a backer here at Goldfinch, mm -hmm. right? So what do I need to do? I do you know? Do I need to get onboarded and then and then and then I stake my capital and then the rest can stake with me, or how does that work? Yeah. So um, there, there's kind of a, a couple answers here. At a, at a protocol level, uh, we we want to be able to just have a unique entity check. Uh, because it is important because we're doing this trust through consensus thing. We can't have civil attacks where backers could be, you know, one one person could spin up a thousand addresses and pretend that a thousand people were uh, putting money into a given pool. So we need to have some way to guard against the civil attacks. And so there's the protocol answer, which I think over time uh, will expand to be many different types of unique entity checks. Um, some could be you simply staked, I don't know, $50,000. Maybe that's pretty good. Another could be that uh, there was a KYC oracle that the protocol was using. Um, there could be a mix of uh, actions that you've taken on chain in such a way that you built up a digital ID and reputation. Mm. And so the protocol is going to be interested in all of those things. Um, and that's at the, the technical level. Uh, specifically in the beginning, you know, the simplest way to do this is that there's going to be a, a KYC process where that KYC process both takes care of the uh, technical angle where we need to have a unique entity check, but it also does help put certain borrowers' minds at ease because there are still AML laws that they're going to have to uh, comply with. And I think this is something the crypto industry is going to be dealing with uh, at large as we start expanding into the real world. Businesses are not going to be able to simply ignore KYC and AML laws in the same way that individuals can. And so there is going to be a KYC process for these backers. The borrowers will then know that these, these backers who they have a direct relationship with were KYC. That's going to help uh, facilitate their AML process. And that that's really the process, the only real process that a backer is going to have to go through. Once they get KYC'd, uh, they can come onto the platform and they can look at deals and they can make their independent calls. And so <clears throat> the exact type of person you mentioned, the, somebody who works at Goldman and does uh, you know, emerging market lending or fixed income credit, uh, we've talked with people just like that who are interested in becoming backers and people well outside of that. I don't think it needs to be restricted to the people with financial background, but uh, we're seeing interest from from both sides. I would also add that particular background you described, someone who has worked at 
a large bank making these kinds of deals with businesses and has experience in emerging market, we think um, they can go one step beyond. Uh, one step beyond actually looking at the deals on the protocol and deciding which ones to back. They could take an active role in going out and finding deals and bringing them to the protocol. And they could serve as, say, an originator and take an originator fee. And uh, I was talking to one person like that. And, uh, he was actually thinking about maybe starting up his own fund. But the hardest part about starting up a fund right now is getting the capital. Mm-hmm. He's, he was saying, oh, I, I know deals I could do, but where am I going to get the money to do it? And this is something that, that crypto is very good at, at just like providing the capital to do something when there's a good deal at hand. And so I think there could be also, for the particular background you described, folks who are really experts in this area, to go a step beyond being a backer and being almost like, what we might call like a lead backer or, or, or an originator going out and finding deals and bringing them to the protocol because the hardest thing for them getting the capital is like already solved because the community is there and wants to participate in them. So there's also this other level here that could come to play with the, the folks who are like truly the experts in these kinds of things. Uh, yeah. I, I think we should start uh, a, a, a uh, outreach campaign where we send out, you know, emails, or you know, reach out to all the uh, VP level, specific VP <laughs> level of all the private, you know, like even like Bing, you know, uh, you know, KKR, yeah. all these guys, right? Like, if you if, if you if you're like really high up, right? You have a really little incentive, right? You're like, you know, I I wanna, you know, I, my my paycheck's linked to my deal here, right? But if you're like VP, you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, like I, maybe I want to start my phone, right? But like, you know, th- this role yeah. looks very hard, right? So. Hey, listen. Here's a here's a here's something you can do uh, to build up your track record or more, or start a new career, right? Because I think this this field is so we are so early and so new, and a lot of things to be fig- you know still needs to be figured out, right? Because there's no right way of doing things, right? We're we're still trying to you know um you know experiment different different parameters, right? To figure out what is actually the best way to do it, and that's what makes this space so exciting. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I, that I think, you know, um, you, you mentioned that caught my attention was that you mentioned about backers being able to, uh, put in, put, put in capital up to 20% of a pool's value. Is that the, correct? The capital that they can put in, it's going to, it's going to be dynamic. So not every deal is going to be the same amount and there's not a hard cap, but what we, what it's going to be is that as more backers come into a particular deal, the amount of you know, effectively leverage that the senior pool is willing to provide on top will increase. So, you know, it, it could be that that backers end up putting as little as maybe 10%. We're probably going to cap it at a, at a 10x um, ratio of, of leverage, but, you know, it could be 2x, could be 50% is from junior, could be 4x, 25% is from junior. And so we're going to be, uh, it, it's just going to be dynamic based on the level of trust that the, the algorithm determines from how many backers are in there. There's also a, a term around how evenly spread that is. So we're aware that you know one backer puts in 99% of the capital and backers put in the other 1%, that's not as good as having 100 backers all put in an even amount. And those details are all in the white paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I would love to um, you know see see that part um, perhaps uh, you know getting more hammered out, right, as we go through this 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 uh, process step. Um, because you know one of the things I'm thinking is that uh, if anyone pe- can become a backer, right? And if we see a good deal, I'm sure like every single backer would be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I put my money there, right? And then suddenly all the backers uh, will be, I mean, how, how will that be decided how much, you know, each single backer can put into a deal, right? That's pretty, that's an interesting question. I think 
we this is one of the things that will be helpful to iterate a little bit on see how backers respond there may be a scenario where backers know that they need a lot of other backers to participate and so they just put in a little bit less because if they were to fill up the whole junior tranche they don't actually get any outsized return because there's no leverage that the senior pool is providing and so they have an incentive for other backers to participate alongside them so it might be that it all just kind of works out automatically by the markets and reaching its like efficient place of how much leverage because backers will withdraw capital if the leverage ratio isn't high enough or, or put in and so it could just work out and then the market just finds the leverage ratio it wants is also possible that we will want to add some constraints that that cap what a given backer puts in in order to ensure it can reach the kind of levers that the market wants and so those are things those are like i would view smaller parameters that we can we can experiment a little bit with uh as a you know as a community seeing what we like um as we see it ramp up but it's a good it's a good point that we're gonna have to kind of see how the market reacts to it yeah and just on that this is really what we're going to be doing over over you know the coming months is we want to be building out everything that's that was listed in the white paper and we want to be uh, experimenting and iterating kind of in a closed beta time period where we can pilot with some of these deals, get these structures uh, in place and and see what the community has to say about it and see how we can improve the product in a standard iterating fashion. Okay, fantastic. Um, one other thing I want to touch up on is this role of backers versus auditors, right? Like, what's the, what's the difference here? Yeah, so the auditors really, their whole role is about, they're like the linchpin for really making decentralization possible because we need to guard against possible fraud vectors. And so if you think about the system, you know, there are there's a, a chance that, you know, potentially a borrower could be colluding with backers to essentially steal money from the senior pool, right? Uh, just to, to play that out so that people can understand, that would be, I'm a, I'm a borrower, I'm some company, but I realize that, hey, like there's this way to essentially get this leverage capital from a senior pool. So if I just convince, you know, a thousand of my friends to, uh, to, to put money into this pool, well, that's going to make the senior pool think that there's, uh, a bunch of consensus here. And so it's going to put all this uh, extra capital in and then we can all just take it out. I can split it with my thousand friends and we all just walked away with a bunch of extra cash. So to guard against that, uh, that type of vector, we are having this role of auditor. And so the auditor is someone who has staked our governance token onto, which uh, we don't have a governance token right now, but this is in theory um, from the white paper, they would stake our token and uh, based on how much they stake, they have a randomly selected chance to be chosen as an auditor. This is not too dissimilar from the delegated and uh, validating process that a lot of proof of stake uh, chains have. Right? The, the more that you stake, the more that you can be chosen to be a validator and then earn the block reward. And so similarly, you stake our, our token, you can be chosen to be an auditor, and the auditors will then look at a deal before the first drawdown has taken place. So they would look at a deal and they might look at the example that I was giving and say, wow, a thousand people, all of them are, this is their first time investing, that's weird. Or like, you know, they're all from this certain area or like those amounts look weird. They're all investing all the exact same amount of $50. Or like, there's, there's probably things that would uh, maybe trigger some alarm bells in, in certain people's heads. Or they look at the, the borrower and they say, oh, this borrower doesn't have a lot of track record. They don't have a lot of uh, social media presence or something like, is this a legit borrower? I'm not really sure. And so it's going to be the job of that, that auditor to give a human level check to uh, make sure that it's a legit borrower who's acting in good faith and it was legit backers who were acting in good faith. 
And uh, that's that's what their their role is going to be. It's purely fraud prevention, and then the, the protocol will pay them in the token uh, for their services. This sort of reminds me of earlier days in 2017 when there was that project raising money, and people were like, "Give me your office address. I'm I'm going to your office to check up on you. Like, who 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 are the people there?" Yeah, and, and you know, an auditor, if they really want to do that, you know, they could do that, right? We're not going to put any rules about what the auditor can or can't do for their check, and maybe they'll just email the borrower every time, right? Or maybe they'll hop in the Discord and look through the history of what was said. Was there like a substantive discussion that was happening? I think there's going to be a lot of ways to uh, for an auditor to check and make sure that it's a legit deal. And this is all about increasing the cost of fraud on the system. And what is the medium through which all of these communications will take place? I imagine, you know, there there should be some sort of a transparency, right? Of mm-hmm. of a the content of com- certain communication. Um, maybe maybe there are you know there are rules where you, you know the borrower only want to make make uh, public certain aspects of their financials, right? But like you know, mm-hmm. is is Discord the place? Is Medium the place? Is Forum the place? Or 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 is there will be will there be a place specifically created by Goldfinch and, and and you know everything goes there? It's like you know Aave's forum, that sort of thing, governance forum. It could be a combination of different things. I mean, one, it, and and this is part of like it won't necessarily be Goldfinch hosting places where this happens. Uh, it could happen on Discord. It could happen on a discourse. The borrower could set up their own data rooms and provide them to their own to to backers the way they see fit. And so we may. We're likely to build like open source tools that could help it make it easier for borrowers to have these conversations, or you know they could all use the Discord and things like that. But um, yeah, so we, we can we can help provide like tools to do it, but we, we expect it could go through a number of ways, and it's really up to the borrowers how they and the backers how they want to communicate with each other. What's nice about the protocol mechanics is that it doesn't require any way of the communication taking place for the protocol mechanics itself in the smart contract they just need to see what end decisions folks make directly with the protocol okay okay um you know i i i was thinking to myself um you know these i guess this is another mechanism i think is really important to highlight here which is the staking to the backers right so who, who can stake to the backers and what does that mean yeah so this is a mechanism that it does need more fleshing out on our side, but the in, in theory, anyone who holds the governance token would be able to stake on a backer, and that will provide the backer with another layer of consensus, right? If you think about consensus, it can happen at the deal level, and that's what we built in with the leverage formula, but we also want consensus to be able to happen at the backer level because that should reduce the total coordination necessary to invest in any given deal, and that should therefore you know help the protocol be able to work faster. And so that's a lot of the the initial uh, impetus for why we were looking at the staking mechanism. Uh, but yeah, really anyone with the, with the governance token should be able to stake on a backer. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, the way I, 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 you know, that, that got me thinking is that, you know, it's sort of like a delicate, delegated credit, right? So if I stake on you, then I trust you to make the right decision. And, you know, that, that sort of brings me to my next thinking, which is that for both the borrowers and the backer, um, as they do this, they will build up an online, uh, on-chain profile right of the of like your borrowing history or your how successful is your credit you know approval history right like yes how, mm-hmm. and 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 i i you know i think this is very early stage like i also i haven't had this particular thought flushed out but like you know i i believe for you guys especially when if you're interfacing with you know uh 
I, I don't know if corporate borrower is the right word, but you know, not individuals, right? But actual companies, right? Like these yeah. things will become incredibly valuable as as we go along this timeline, right? As crypto go mainstream, um, um, you know, mainstream, and and all of this should be documented somewhere, right? <laughs> so so the next time I look at you, I it's so much easier for me to understand like what you have done, right? Um, it's, yeah. it's just my thoughts. Yeah, I think you're totally right, and I think. You know, more and more, we're going to see the on-chain history that individuals accumulate being an important part of their ongoing life. And I think uh, the borrowers, and as you're saying, they are corporations right now. And that was actually a key part of why we, we started with corporations. I think it's a little too early to be doing lending to individuals in the crypto space right now because, um, one, the dollar amounts that they are going to require just less, which it makes it hard to uh, you know amortize the underwriting costs across uh, such small dollar amounts. But... Also, they just don't have reputations to uphold nearly in the same way that a business does. Businesses just, as a general rule, are going to be more likely to pay back their debts. And so we think you have to start here. And eventually, as crypto uh, you know, gets more into the mainstream, we can start filtering down into directly lending to consumers. Um, I think I think we've discussed quite a bit the details. And, and you know, I want to sort of zoom out and, and you know, close with... Uh, more of higher level sort of perspective, right? So, can you give us any sort of metrics on on the tractions you you guys have have done so far, and and you know what sort of uh, main milestones can we look forward to this year or next? Um, and what are maybe some of the you know challenges, roadblocks that that you know once we overcome, we're gonna reach the next level of expansion? Yeah. So. To speak to traction so far, let's see, we we deployed the initial version of the protocol in December, and then in January had uh, the first million dollars in loans deployed um, to thousands of borrowers, basically through through lending partners that we're working with. And then since then, uh, over the last few months, we've grown two and a half x. So now it's uh, about two and a half million. Well, it's exactly two and a half million dollars that has been lent out. We're working with uh, for lending partners that have extended loans now to tens of thousands of borrowers in seven countries. Uh, I think I might forget them if I try to list them out, but it's like India and Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, Singapore, uh, Nigeria, Mexico. Mexico. I might have missed a couple, but yeah. they're, on all, they're on all the continents, basically. It's all around the world. And so that's where we're at in terms of traction so far, like real, real folks all around the world. Um, being kind of serviced by by these loans, and then uh, what our next milestones are really about is everything that we have in the white paper, making that a uh, reality. And so basically, getting uh, an initial like full version of the protocol launched, which we'll do in stages, um, the way Blake described. And so that's sort of where our focus is now is. Um, kind of getting all of these pieces in place and iterating and helping to foster the community around it um, to bring deals and help help back them. And I think the, the major kind of roadblocks and th things that are going to unlock the next level is, is going to be around building this community so that there's a, a ready set of backers who can back deals and then also building out the product in such a way that it can really be self-serve. And, and once we're there and we have that, then that's the those are two sides of, of the market that can start interacting without our involvement directly. And that's when I think we can start really scaling. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Just from a uh, purely, uh, you know, um, you know, observer point of view, I, I, I have to say that getting this particular process right, you know, self-serving process, you know, governance, um, is, is incredibly huge. Because 
the frictions within you know I think current decentralized credit process is is that you know when you have a process that's somehow bottleneck somewhere right uh, if you rely on a single backer right or single guy doing the approval you know or, or that the process of actually getting the loan is is super lengthy right um, and and you know like and you mentioned the whole idea of maybe having legal documents in the real world, right? That takes months, mm -hmm. right? And and I think, yeah. but but once this this is done, this is hammered out, you know, I I the the amount of um the amount of people who needs funding in the real world, I don't think people realize how big it is, right? Um, you know, uh, crypto to real world lending business, and but I don't yeah. think people really really appreciate the incredible size. This market is right. So, can you give us maybe some sort of um, number or ranges of how big this actually is? Are we talking about trillions? Are we talking about billions? Well, I mean, obviously, private private debt is going to be in the trillions. <laughs> um, I think you know our our particular niche that we're focused on right now, emerging market fintechs in this kind of growth stage, between 100k and 5 million. Even that's probably I don't know, it's 100 billion, something like that. I think around 100 billion is yeah. like this initial. The initial wedge that we're going after is is a hundred billion. Yeah. And well, so much more to be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's been a pleasure having you here. Um, I look forward to having you back on again. Uh, before we wrap this up, why don't you tell uh, the listeners where can they find you guys and how can they get involved? Yeah, uh, I would point folks to um, our website, goldfinch.finance, that has links to a bunch of different stuff. Um, Particularly, our Discord is the best place to kind of get involved. Where uh, we're we're talking with you know building the community, talking with each other about what we're building. Um, it also the website has links to our to register for the backer program. If people think they might be interested in being a backer, uh, they can kind of fill out a form, and we're going to start announcing that and getting information out in the coming weeks. And so yeah, I think those are the the big ways. And then. Um, for folks who are on Twitter, we're goldfinch underscore fi, F-I, and so that's another way to follow us. But um, yeah, I think those are the, the big ways, yeah. Fantastic, guys. I look forward to uh, the march towards 100 billion. <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks yeah. so much, Harvey. It was great doing this. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, guys.